Um, how about Elon buying Twitter? Do you think do you think anything's going to change? Yeah, I actually do. I think a lot's going to change. Yeah. I, I think a lot is going to change, and but I don't think it's going to change for the same reasons that the panic is happening, and. Mm. Or maybe it is the same reason I should say that. It's like I look at what happened and everyone's saying, oh, Elon Musk bought Twitter. It's that simple. Or Elon Musk will control the dialogue going forward. Elon Musk will or will not allow censorship or change censorship or whatever he's going to do. But I think there's a much bigger thing that happened, which was Elon Musk said, you make your fucking move and I'll make mine. And he, and in a way, he really just called out the conditions of what Twitter and the media were doing. It wasn't just Twitter. He said, all right, you had 10 years of this shit. You had all this time. You had all this control. Like, go for it. Make your move. And I'll make mine. <laughs> yeah. And he did. Yeah. 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 And I wonder, I wonder what his strategy is, because I, I do believe that he's an advocate for free speech. But um, I, I don't I have I find it hard to believe that that is the only reason that he wanted to pay, you know, forty five billion dollars for a company. Right. Oh, you know, free speech right. is a problem. So, like, that's enough incentive for me to spend, you know, a sixth of all that I'm worth. Right. So right. I wonder what else he is. He is thinking he is going to be able to do as the owner of Twitter other than just like give people their old accounts back, right? Like how is he yeah. planning to use the platform to further his other goals, whether it's with SpaceX or Tesla or, or something else? Yeah, we don't know, right? We're all yeah. speculating. And I think the the real conversation is what can he do? And, you know, there's right. another conversation happening out there. What should he do? What must he do? What are the moral ethics of what he should do? And what does he owe the democracy? And what does he owe me? Or what does he owe the the previous regime and what does he owe the people that have been running these algorithms and providing the censorship up to this point and so you could have this conversation of what he should do or what he can do we don't always know but this mm -hmm. is what he can do in my opinion is if he brought transparency to the equation if he only brings transparency to the algorithms that are running the shadow bands even if he didn't change the fucking shadow bands, if he didn't change any of it, if all he did was say, this is how it's done, this is the transparency that's there, that would be a huge change and a huge improvement. And, and it would give people the opportunity to engage or disengage, connect or disconnect, like do whatever you're going to do. But I don't think that he is doing this just because he's benevolent. I think he's going to make money. But there's a lot of ways that he can do it and also be beneficial. There's a lot of rumors that I've know. seen that a lot of people are speculating that Twitter's been cleaning house the last couple of weeks and continues to do so before he officially uh, gets gets his hands on the wheel. Yeah. I wonder if they're going in and um, sort of reversing any of these um, algorithms or any evidence of uh, foul play that might be in place. Look, I, I can't, I've never worked at a tech company quite like that. I've never worked at anything that had that much control, but I've worked at places that were bought and sold. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell yeah. you this, it doesn't fucking matter if you clean floors. It doesn't matter if you're framing houses. When you're bought and sold, there is a rush to tidy up the place before it goes on the market, to tidy up your position and look out for yourself. 
So if people are cleaning up, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Like what they can clean up, I have no idea. Never worked there. I have, I have no clue. Yeah, but it is yeah. definitely happening. Don't you think it's funny but, how? Um, oh, go ahead. But you look at stupid stuff, like really stupid things, like these random people, whether it's Jack or Ian or whoever you look at, like people that you're familiar with, that like in one day they go up a hundred thousand like followers. Like this is just bizarre shit going on. Yeah, I think there were a lot of people after Trump was banned. I think there were a lot of people that deleted their accounts. And I think those people are signing up again because they're like, all right. Really? You know what I mean? You think it's that big, huh? I think so. Because they they did a purge of like, I don't know, what was it, like 70,000 people or something like that that were associated with QAnon and just like dedicated election fraud accounts. And I think I could be wrong about this, and I'm sure the data is out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe I'm just – this is just me like intuitively answering. So take it with a grain of salt. But I think that when Trump – was banned. There was a significant number of Trump supporters who said "fuck this" and deleted their Twitter account. And I bet you uh, a substantial number of them are coming back now that it's not owned by the board. You could. I'm sure you're right. I have no reason to think you're not. I think it, it makes sense. And for whatever reason, like some people may do it out of some ideological position, right? And some people yeah. might be doing it like. Hey, I did this for entertainment before. It was entertaining then, and now this guy, Elon Musk, is going to own it. It could be entertaining again. Like, fuck it. This could be fun to watch. I'm in. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. Why, why wouldn't you? Like, Well, and it goes, yeah. it goes to sh- – like Trump, Trump really drilled this old um, cliche home that there's, there's no such thing as bad pl- publicity, right? He got elected yeah. despite just being um, berated constantly in 2016 right so yeah my point is that twitter has been just getting so much press coverage in traditional media outlets for the last couple of weeks since elon made his initial bid that Mm -hmm. there could just be an increase in users just from the like constant drilling home of hey this guy that we know is successful somehow sees value in twitter and twitter is just everywhere twitter 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 Twitter, on other Mm -hmm. platforms and outlets and it could just be sort of inadvertently an advertising thing where more people are joining the platform and so big big accounts are getting a boost in followers you know yep very possible explainable for sure yeah, but I think absolutely. I think it's funny how how you see the people on the left they're outraged about like freedom of speech on Twitter and they're acting as if it's going to be the end of the world but it's like how did they forget that everything was fine 10 years ago before all these bullshit rules ever came into effect? Like there never was a problem fixed. You know, the only problem that was fixed was that the left was being, you know, vocally opposed. That was the problem that they fixed with censorship. It wasn't disinformation. And so it's not like there's yeah. going to be any danger or inciting of violence if freedom of speech comes back to the internet. Yeah, I, I have a unique take. Well, maybe it's not unique. I have a different take on this whole censorship model and specifically what happened with the election, what happened with Facebook, and what happened with Twitter. And I think you know, what I was describing it and have been for a long time is that these big groups, Facebook and Twitter specifically, but in like cahoots with the mainstream media, they basically went to the voting public, to Americans, to their consumers and said, these are the conditions. 
Like we are declaring ourselves right now the victim of your misinformation. We're declaring ourselves the victim of Trump. We're declaring all of these extreme conditions right here, right now. And if you want to participate, you got to accept these conditions. Like if you wanted to play on Twitter, you acknowledge like they're in control and they control the dialogue that Trump is fucking America and the disinformation is is destroying you and the country. And if unless you accept our terms and conditions, you're out. Right. And And that's a libertarian argument. Private business. They can do whatever they want with their terms. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they set the terms and conditions. This is what they do. And, you know, it's almost like this that horrible centipede thing on South Park. Like, hey, you signed it. Now they're going to sew you into a human centipede. <laughs> like, you signed the terms of agreement. You just didn't read it. And it's like, all right, you want to be on Twitter. You agreed to these terms. And, and that's kind of where we are, like this fake – but it's also real and threatening set of conditions to participate in the game. And sadly, there's uh, people think that this is divided among political lines. It's not. It's divided a bunch among just the people who want to give up and the elites who benefit from it. Like, I, have, uh, I don't know where you stand on all this, but I look at Mitch McConnell and that whole crowd, the old school guard, uh, the neocons, I think they're pieces of shit. But did they benefit from all this? Hell yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like Even and, Trump and raised they, an astronomical amount of money by being banned from Twitter. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I pitched in. Hell, I was, 10 bucks. Here you go, Trump. You need it, billionaire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah as, and he, as a matter of principle, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But now but I just is- donate $17.76, $17.76 to whoever I like. <laughs> Entertainment value, right? Yeah. Those are the terms. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to show it's off worth- on the reporting. You know, it, everybody should donate. If you're going to donate 15 bucks or 10 bucks to a candidate, just give 1776 so that that when they have to just put out the it. finance reports, you know, for the for the uh, election uh, commission or whatever, that there's yeah. just a row of 1776s. I want to see that. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna wear my free willy shirt or whatever whenever I donate. <laughs> Joe, Alex, Joe, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's waving a banner today, huh? So, but I'm right, I want to I, I want to bring. Go ahead. No, no, you bring it up. All right, I want to bring something else up that I wanted to talk about with you along these yeah. same lines. Like I'm not changing the subject entirely. That's okay. But you I want to talk about. I want to talk about this populist movement. And I know that a lot of it is framed in negative context because of Trump or they associate it with the 2016 election and divided among the deplorables that are on one side. And, and this is, you know, populism is just angry and I don't buy into that for a fucking second. I just, what you think, man, don't, I think that the you don't buy into populism for a second or you don't buy into the notion that it's just hateful. I I don't buy into the notion that it's just hateful. I don't buy into the notion that it's just right versus left. I don't buy into the notion that it's just, you know, old guard Americans or white Americans or all of the ways that it's been framed as this stereotype that 
fits into MAGA or fits into Trump or anything else. I think that the concept of people pushing up against their limits and the expectations is not unique to that group. I, I think that it's been oversold and used as propaganda to say that that populism exists just in this stereotype or this socioeconomic group. It's not just the poor against the elite rich. It's way beyond that. And and I look at um, this stuff that's going on with Twitter and the reactions, how, you know, the same people that were buying Teslas because it was going to keep the oceans from rising are now bitching that the guy that they made rich used the money to buy Tesla, right? I, it's like no, people are going to find like the irony that the people are going to find a reason to bitch and moan. But I think that there's a good and a core and a real group of people who are looking at whether it's censorship whether it's inflation, whether it was the vaccine, like all of these different things and realizing like, God damn it. Like when is enough enough? And when are these groups going to get together and realize, uh, you know what? We may have a champion in Musk. We might, we might have a champion in Trump. We might not, but realize like, you know, we got a hell of a lot more in common here than we have not in common. And start yeah. to rally. And I, I think that that populist situation, like things like this tri- this Twitter thing are triggering a different conversation going forward. Yeah, I'm with you. And I um, I have been giving this a tremendous amount of uh, thought lately because I'm going to do a series of short podcast episodes like the one that I did yesterday, just me. Uh, and I'm going to write a, a blurb five times a week and do it. And then by the end of a year, I'll, I'll have um, – like a book kind of in that and I can edit it and put it together. And that'd be cool. I've kind of, I'm coming to to the conclusion. My first question when I considered populism was like, all right, what's the difference between populism and nationalism? Because when you hear the word nationalism, you can't help but think of national socialist Nazi, right? They were nationalists. And I've sort of come to the position that a populist is someone who, loves their country and their people. Whereas a nationalist is someone who loves the state. Right. And when the state perfectly represents the people, which is never then populism, populism and nationalism are the same thing. Right. And so were that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's when they would overlap. You take out. So like the closest it got to that was Nazi Germany when there were such a number of people within the country that were like all about it. Right. Like, like Mm -hmm. fanboying over the state at the time. Right. But it's, yeah, but it's never, it's never really true that there's a one-to-one ratio between populism and nationalism, but further, further, when you think about populism, just because the nature of the word, because the communists have hijacked, the phrase like the people, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, because their, their whole platform is about the people, the people, the people, right? Like the basic man. Yeah, same with the socialists. When you think about populism, you're, it's easy to just initially have the impression of collectivism. But my philosophy on populism is that it's actually um, when properly managed an individualist philosophy, because in order for a country to reach self-actualization, as in accomplish its potential, 
in order for a people to accomplish their greatest potential, every individual within that society has to reach self-actualization, like Maslow's higher full potential, right? right? And so what I think that we're yep. approaching, and if we have the right leadership to frame it, I think we might be approaching a system where it's not a conflict between the left versus the right, just like you said, but it's a conflict between those who believe in individuals and those who are globalists, because the opposite of individualism is globalism. There's nothing more macro than globalism, right? And there's nothing more micro than the individual. And so if we can brand populism as an individual rights, an individualist uh, philosophy and political movement, but, but, uh, um, um, resting in the the love of the people and your and yes. your culture yep. then we can really take the best uh, of what populism was able to do in terms of rallying people in the 20th century but we can shed the worst that it brought out in those nations uh which of course you know we see we saw and, uh from both the right and the left with nazi versus communist yeah and we talked a little bit about this in a previous podcast where i said hey if you want to put this party together and keep it intact. You have to have room for Tim Poole and, and Tulsi Gabbard in the same group. Like if you can't yes. have a seat at the table for both of these people, you really don't have a party and you certainly don't have a movement. And, mm -hmm. and the point I really want to make when I say that is one, I would vote for Tulsi Gabbard and in a second, like there's a lot of things I wish she would do differently, but I look at her as a leader and think, yeah, I, that's someone Thank I you. could vote for. And, and the things that Tim is bringing up need to be part of the dialogue. I don't think he'd be a good leader necessarily, but I think he represents the conversation that could and should be happening. Sure. And, and, and I look at uh, populism now and think, Hey, do we need to really unite and make one of these parties better than the other. Like that's the last thing we need, right? We need them to, the populace to organize and decide, hey, we can be fair to ourselves and to each other. Like there's an element of self-care within our own families or our churches or whatever we organize around, our companies, all our friends that work with us at Twitter, whatever. But it can't be just at everyone else's expense. Of and, course. And I, right, you, you have to join it up. Now, to do that around the flag or one party, I don't think is necessary. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, right? Certainly There's not one of the existing parties. Right. And the existing band of leaders, there's none of them that I think are that great. And I think Trump has flaws. There's a lot that he brought out in this movement that is like, superlative in every way what he's brought out in people there's a lot of great things but he's also done some ding dong stuff along the way for sure. sure and he's clumsy i think this is the best way to say it there's been some clumsy things that he's done for absolutely they all do sure it's kind but, of like a bull in a china he, shop but yeah he, but he's a fucking bull you know yeah, you know, yeah. He's still and, a bull, even in the know, china shop <laughs> one of the things that people like really slam about populism is a failed concept is that you just isolate this concept that it's the populace or the people against the elites and they right. describe it as like the elite is your leader. So if the populace organize and they create a leader, all of a sudden that leader is the enemy of the people that put him there. And to which I say, this is horse shit. Like I don't buy into that at all. 
I think all groups will have someone that they want to get on their ride and they may benefit. And that's the beauty of what's happening with Elon Musk right now. Sure. Is like he's really given a larger population a reason to say, oh, fuck, yeah, we should stand up and not have our shit censored and different things like he really is kind of stepping into this in a way where like hey you don't have to knock me down because i'm the leader like yeah like i'm really speaking for what i think is valuable for this movement yeah but the funny thing about the sort of leftist opposition to the elites and there's a there's a totally right-wing opposition to the elites too i mean i yeah, can't tell you how both. much content yeah. i see against bill gates right so the, yeah. i get it and there, there's i think there's something to be said for that like if you have like an oligarch class history you know has spoken that that can be very problematic right but that yeah. being said that doesn't mean that everybody who kicks ass is uh is corrupt Right. And, and, and right. we shouldn't shame people just just for being successful. But what's fascinating to me about the leftist opposition to elitism is that they say that they hate the elites. They say that they hate the billionaire class, that we need to tax mm-hmm. the billionaires. And it's just a few. It's the one percent. They say that it's like, OK, well, if the elites are the enemy, if you really believe that, then why did you deplatform my plumber? Yeah. On Twitter. God, this is a good thing we're talking because I have a different take. Like, I, I agree okay. with you. I have a different take on this. Just shoot it to me. Like, I love of it. course I do, right? It's like I look at the example that you're giving is the Elizabeth Warren, like, anti-elite argument, right? To which I say to Elizabeth Warren, go fuck yourself. Like, really, you don't represent a goddamn thing for a goddamn reason. You're just one of those other puppets, clowns, monkeys, whatever you are, in a group of 100 people with tenure in the Senate. You ain't shit. And she is not shit. And she is not speaking against the elites or anything else. She's just spouting propaganda and bullshit and lines, right? Mm -hmm. There's no substance to Mm -hmm. anything she's ever done. And there's no substance to anything she ever will do. She is not. The only reservation she's ever been in is that the French laundry. Yeah, yeah. And and look, there's she's never going to turn down a speaking engagement at Goldman Sachs. Like, this is a, a clown show. And it does, it's not worth a lot of time. But I look at what the left is doing and and the difference right now. And one of the key populations, we talked about this with Barrington, is go like obviously American blacks, the black African American, American blacks, whatever we're calling them these days. Yeah, and yeah. Af- African American, like Musk. Yes, he's an African American. Had this concept that that is a victim class. And this victim class can only be saved by the leaders that represent that victim class. And that shit, I think, is going to change. And this is where I think the tipping point in populism is going to happen when people like Barrington and like Adam Coleman and other guys like that are becoming greater leaders. They're bold. And there's a lot of guys out there who are willing to say, all right, those terms and conditions we're saying no to. And what they're really saying is your story and your conditions on your terms don't apply to me. I'm out. Yeah. And you know what? I'm out. 
But here's here's one of my concerns. And I was talking about this on another podcast the other day where I was like, you know, like if you look at the 20th century, second half of the 20th century in the United States, we had such great leaders, like even the ones I disagreed with. Right. Like Mm -hmm. JFK was an outstanding leader. Right. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King, outstanding leader. Malcolm X, outstanding leader. Like we had like sort of um, informal authorities, like MLK and Malcolm X didn't have any formal leadership position. They weren't elected. They just rose to the occasion and then became informal authorities that people look to. Right. And I'm like, where, like, where are our leaders today? Like we don't really have people that are rallying and inspiring from like a civilian standpoint. We have people that run for office, but that's not the same thing as being like an actual leader. Right. And I think that when the reason I wanted to bring that up in conjunction with what you said about Adam and Barrington is is one of the challenges that we have that I see from from guys like me and you and and us just like this movement for lack of a better term uh, there should be a better term but that's get off the top of my head is that with with the advent of the internet we I think as a culture have been so distracted by winning arguments and being right because we have so much access to knowledge. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can pull this up off Wikipedia or, oh, I can pull this article up right now and tell you why you're wrong or, oh, I can go to this fact checker. So it's always about being right and winning the argument. Whereas before we had access to all these tools to argument, leaders had to win by putting their ear to the heart of what was happening in the culture, what was resonating. And then responding to that like emotional zeitgeist with leadership and rallying people because of it, right? And and I I, I hope that in America someone will realize that truth and realize that being right isn't enough. I mean, everybody remembers the kid in third grade that raised their hand to answer every question and nobody fucking likes that kid. Okay. You're not going to yeah. win hearts and minds by being, Oh, I yeah. know. I know. Right. Like Hermione Granger in Sorcerer's little bitch until the second half of the book. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the point I'm trying to make is we can't just focus on what the right thing to do is or being right or humiliating the opposition with pointing out how I want to get to that they are we have to actually understand how they feel and then ride the wave man we got to catch these waves yep i i agree with that you know there's my grandmother was she was a leader i'm not in a grand scale people wouldn't know her name but she was appointed to run a savings bonds division when jfk was around she led uh campaigns with hubert humphrey she stayed on with jfk through everything and you know i grew up like watching her in this democrat circles and you know she was friends with amazing people like senator ted moss came to her funeral um, or to my grandpa's funeral i believe and you know some just great people along the way and she would speak very highly of republicans you know and i would hear stories from her about the gores and about bob dole and you know i didn't even appreciate it until i was much older i had no idea would check in with her but i look at that era and think of someone like tip o'neill And have we had anyone like Tip O'Neill in 30 years in the House or the Senate? Like, we don't have that kind of presence and moxie. We have bitching and moaning and just calamity all the time. Like, Tip O'Neill would have sent this shit going on in the House. He would have sent it sideways and not put up with that. He had a country to run. And and I think – about that kind of leadership and that kind of dialogue. And you're right. It's changed because of Twitter. 
But I think there's a bigger change. Like it is not just that people can be right and proving that you're right all the time because being right takes effort and content. Even if you're Googling it or whatever you have to do, if you want to actually be right, you have to commit. You have to stand for something to be right. And what we've done is flip this shit around and rewarded the sorry little shithead who all he has to do is troll and put himself in a position to say you're wrong. And you look at how Twitter was moderated and Facebook is moderated through that election cycle and other things and compare it to small subgroups. And I belong to some that have moderators in these forums and where you reward the behavior that just asks questions. Like, I'm never going to stand for something. My only job here is to make you look stupid. And if I can't do that, I'm going to kick you off. Like, right. I'm never going to I'm never going to stand for something. I'm just going to prove you're a son of a bitch or you're dumb. And then I get to my wits end. Ooh, you're out of here. And this became the model for Facebook and Twitter. Like, we're going to just decide in our back algorithms and rooms and wherever we go and drop acid microdose, of course, because it's San Francisco and silicon yeah. microdosing. We're going to yeah. microdose until we come up with a solution for why we can censor every goddamn thing we don't like, because we've only decided that it's wrong. And they don't take a position to really defend either the algorithms or what's right, because they're fucking trolls and cowards. This is the, the new model. They don't release. We don't really know what Zuckerberg stands for. Except we know that he decided what's wrong and he's going to get that shit off his site. What a fucking clown. Yeah. Well, maybe he did or maybe the board just told him how it was going to roll. You have to wonder at some of these publicly traded companies. I mean, Steve Jobs got fired from his own company. (laughs) So how much did they really run it? You know? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But yeah, I, I, go ahead. It's just, I look too, like, I, you're not wrong. Like, I'm not saying you're wrong that, you know, that this is an agenda that's out there. And you're, yeah, your but point's taken regardless about Zuck. It, it's taken. It, it, yeah, it's just this content screening and filtering that's done under some moral cover, or bold, but it's still just darkness. That's nonsense, the hell with them. Yeah, I, I think honestly what's going on is, we just have everybody who's in control of these platforms has a very similar worldview. There are all these tech guys and they go to these tech cities and it's just like the same. It's a culture. It's this, it's their, their yeah. sort of leftist mentality. And I think that what happened was they just really hated Trump and they're using all of this oral grandstanding as cover mm-hmm. for what they really want to do, which is just not allow the, the, those who they disagree with to gain any political power in the country. Yes. Like I want to slam my win. desk. If I want, if I slammed my desk, it would make this big boom and I yeah, people sure. would give up on your live stream, but yes. And it's not Trump that they hate. They may say they hate him or feel like they hate him, but it's, but there's, there's something about themselves. Like it's really a relationship, a collective relationship. And I think the true animosity is really, toward the person who either has disregard 
no interest or disdain for that their feelings that they think are so important or their positions that they think are so important. I think that the real disdain is directed at the guy who fixes their goddamn flushing toilets and the guys who fix their cars and the people who are not like them and don't solve the um, the well, issues like the in famous the environment with the new it's Tesla. It's not me they're after. It's you. I'm just in the way. Right? That yes. was the ad on the billboard. And it was like, oh, that's good. You yeah. And, but And the reason that worked is because it's true. Like, do I think that the people at Twitter that were running these things hated Trump? Yes. But what do they really want to stop? They want to stop me and they want to stop you. They want to stop the. They want to stop this dialogue, uh, you know, down here. And they want the populace to remain the population. These people that make up the populace to remain segregated from each other. Like so. So let's, let's dive into that. Let's dive into that. Yeah. Why? Why uh, do they want that? And I, it's almost like unconscious. Do, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I could, I couldn't fathom just like not wanting someone to be successful, like Elon Musk. Like I, I, I right. envy him, I guess, but I definitely don't covet him. Like I'm not like bitter that he's kicking ass. And, and so it's right. hard for me to understand why there's just such this like visceral, like hatred for him among the left. He's not even really a Republican. They just hate him because he's successful. I'm telling you, uh, but he represents something bigger yeah. than just a billionaire or almost trillionaire or whatever. He mm. represents something much, much bigger. He is a champion for something bigger than just a guy who made a ton of money off Tesla, SpaceX, boring and where yeah. at dogecoin or whatever he represents something bigger and and the populace don't need him but they see value here and they respect what he's doing they're not asking yeah. him to run for president they don't need him to win something to validate what they're seeing or thinking or believing and he represents something, and this all represents something bigger. And and in terms of separating it, I mean, it's clear. As long as they keep the populace divided, especially if they can keep the black community at 90% loyalty on one side and another group of people in West Virginia stays loyal to one side, they and they split these up and they even call it racism, to call it whatever they are. I don't think it's always that even though that exists in the world, they, they control these smaller subgroups, which, you know, they can just keep running around patting each other on the back. But I think there's a time when Candace Owens and other groups, they all get together and just like, fuck this, we're going to have an uprising. So when you said that Elon represents something much bigger, that was Absolutely fascinating. Simple as that statement was, it totally sent me down a rabbit hole while, while you were talking. I was listening to you too, but <laughs> let me let me put let me put to you what I'm thinking. Let me put it to you okay. this way: Elon Musk is somebody who uh, was born in South Africa. His father and mother divorced when he was like eight or nine years old, and even though his dad was rich, I don't think they got any money. Um, he lived in Canada for a while, uh, paid his own way through college, I believe, on student loans, and. Um, uh, and of course, now he's in the United States and he founded a company which 
was later acquired and became PayPal, PayPal. right? Which is how he made his first tens of millions of dollars. Then he mm-hmm. bought, um, I can't remember the electric company that he bought turned into Tesla, but then he, then he started Tesla and then he started, uh, and with Tesla, he was able to accomplish building an electric car, which is almost as affordable as a traditional internal combustion if you factor gasoline over time, right? Which is impossible. Then he um, uh, uh, created a rocket company in the private sector, right? And which is impossible. <laughs> and he was able to shoot one of those cars. And I'm, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing Jordan Peterson, who's told the same story kind of this way. He was able mm-hmm. to shoot the rocket into space and let one of us go, right? And then land the rocket again. Yeah. So it could be reusable, right? And and he was able to do it at 10% the cost of NASA, which is impossible. And then now he's acquired right. uh, one of the largest social media privately, which was impossible. There's, I don't think there's ever been a reversal from an IPO for a, for a big tech company in, in the history of capitalism, right? And the reason I mention that is because it goes to show that Musk totally regardless of whatever his political positions are on any issue is someone who, when he is presented with objective reality, he responds in a very efficient way that allows him to continually be successful in everything. He's almost like, he's like, it's almost like he's a, like a savant. He's almost like AI, right? Only with a cooler personality. And the reason I wanted to mention all that man is because when you said he represents something bigger than just being a billionaire elite, Maybe what they are afraid of, and in conjunction with the context of the censorship, maybe what the leftists are really afraid of is capital T truth, reality, objective reality, right? Because we have this whole postmodern thing where your truth is your truth and, you know, you live your story and I live my story and, you know, are you living your truth? Like you can make it if you think it, it's true or if you feel it, it's real. And maybe... The fact that he has totally embraced the fact that reality exists and I'm I'm playing in this universe to win. Maybe that is what is terrifying to them, because if reality exists and objective truth and objective falsehoods, then eventually you have to arrive at the conclusion that you are the person that you are because of the decisions that you've made. And your right. failures are no one's fault except for yours. Yep. A very hard cross to bear for someone who is shame averse. Yes. If you are conscientious and not shameless and you absorb that in a brutal way, yes, it can be crippling. And, but the system has used everything you're describing to their advantage and and I have we've talked about this. Like I feel like we're repeating ourselves. So stop me if we've gone over this. The no, dis- the difference between surrendering and being submissive, it's a fine line. The hmm. motivations between surrendering and being submissive are the same. You are giving something up. You are making a self a, a selfless move for somebody else. In many cases, like you not being the greatest priority yourself is not the biggest priority and you are aware of the choice that you're about to make but when you submit to something this is a fatal or fantastic way out there extreme and the difference between surrendering is hey these are the facts you know i gotta wake up tomorrow and i'm gonna have to put in a 16-hour day 
for a hundred days just to get out of this mess I'm in or to make Mm -hmm. it to the next level. Like you can surrender to the facts or you just submit and give up. Like that's the difference. And what this whole censorship model was and the whole campaign that we saw going way back to 2016 and even beyond, but certainly at hyper level since then is taking using censorship to take away the facts and force the people to submit. And, and it doesn't even give them the choice to have the experience hard or not that you're describing. Like you've, you've yanked it away. You just fucked them. You said, we'll decide for you. You don't get to decide on the facts. You just submit to the way we're doing it, the process, the information we give you. Fuck you. You submit. That's it. And now you have a guy who, whether he's successful or not, is, is creating for people illusion or real that, Hey, maybe we get to choose for ourselves. Maybe we get to speak for ourselves. Maybe we get to, to choose, make a wrong choice. Who knows? But, but he's giving people this hope in this transaction and others that, yeah, you can make a better decision. And it's not just the model that he's giving. He's actually doing something different. Yeah. And I'm going to take this to another level and, and I'll tell you why I think this works. Because in many ways, what he did at Tesla was the same thing. He's saying to people in many, like so many ways, hey, look, you concerned about the environment? You concerned about this combustion engine bullshit? You, you want to do a different way? Here's a way to do it. Like it's expensive. We supplement it, whatever we do. You want to drive a, a nice, cool car that runs on electricity? I'll give you a way to do it. You can manifest your decision and your feelings and your priorities. I'm going to give you a way to do it. And the left was like, yes, we're going to buy Teslas. And a lot of people love them. Like Joe Rogan drives. People love them. They're cool. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah. And he's saying he's actually giving you something. It's going to be cool. He's like, oh, you guys like this Internet shit? Watch this. I'm going to launch 90 satellites a week. They're, you're yep. going to see them going through the sky. It's going to look like a satellite train, and you're going to think aliens are coming in. Like, fuck. And, and so he's like, all right, here's the information. Here's the way. You can make this fucking choice. Go for it. And I think that's what's happening with Twitter. He's like, all right, you might not like it, but we're going to be transparent here. And <laughs> – there might be a better way. Fuck. Who knows? Right. Right. So I, hold on. I'm going to grab something from my bookshelf. I want to ask. <laughs> I want to present an idea, idea to you. Hold on. Hey, you got a few people asking questions. It says, looks like he's an author from California. Wow. Who the hell answer, is that? Last the- room? <laughs> hey, where, how do I do it? I don't know. You just tell him on this on the show. All right. Yeah. I'm so, the author of Be Less Dickish. So that's yeah, someone awesome. wrote that. I think it says the last Roman. Shovelhead, who the fuck is that guy? That's Chase. That's Chase. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're asking about you. You might want to introduce yourself. Who the fuck is that guy? It's my fucking show, you dumbass. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So this is what I grabbed from my my, my bookshelf. You've seen a Rubik's Cube before. Very popular in the 80s, right. right? All right. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah. Keep going. Everyone who has ever seen one of these has tried to solve it, even if just for like seven seconds. If you give this to like an eight-year-old kid, right, they'll mess with it. 
And yep. a few people saw, like a lot of people solve it now, especially since there's guides and internet and YouTube videos. But for a long time, no one could solve this. I mean, it was like, it was like weeks before the first one was solved. And it was some math professor, I think that did it first at some like MIT right. or something. And it's actually pretty easy. Once you break the seal, it's like the um, four minute mile, right? Once one guy did it, everybody can do it. And so um, the reason I bring this up is because when you take a Rubik's cube and you try to solve it, everybody gives up or stops doing it, right? You put it away and yeah. go on and do something else. Yeah. But what do you think is more difficult life or a Rubik's cube? Life. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going with but, life. But what if you want to give up on life and you don't want to commit suicide? So I, well, the point I'm trying to make is yeah. if a Rubik's Cube is easier than life and people are giving up on the Rubik's Cube, then they must be living a life that they've given up on. Yeah. Just yeah. logically, right? It follows. And so I, I, I think... We're on to something with this, with this, with this Elon Musk thing being a bigger. That's awesome. That's badass. We're on to something with this Elon Musk meaning something bigger, right? Because I think that what this boils down to is there are people in this world, in our country specifically, who won't give up. They haven't given up. And I think there are people right. on the right and the left, right? Tulsi would be like somebody on the left like that, right? And and there, there's there's a whole like even maybe a majority of of people or half the population is just, even though they're living, they've given up. And I think that maybe, yep. maybe the conflict that we're having here is when you, when you continue to fail at something and you give up on it, it's painful to know that there was a way to win. Right. right. And I think that's there was why a formula. People, yeah. There was a, a way there to was do a path. it. Yeah. Right? There was a path and there was a, yeah. A, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I, I think that when, when, when they're presented with someone like Elon Musk, who hasn't given up and is successful and they see that it's possible, I think deep down that they just, they're, they feel so discomfort, discomforted and off put by it because it makes them feel like they're, that they failed because they have to admit to themselves that the reason they're in the situation they're in in their life is not because the game was unwinnable, but because they stopped playing. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a lot kind of, of stuff there. I know that was an off the top there, of my head. There's way a lot to of like stuff, the... but no, it's true. And it's funny. Like I keep this on my desk. It's funny. You had to get yours. This is on my <laughs> desk all the time. And we have one that we ordered an 11 by 11 back when it was contraband because of the patent violations. We had it shipped from an attorney's office in, in Beijing to an attorney in LA and had it driven up to uh, San Francisco back when it was a patent violation to have and wow. we couldn't get them on eBay. So yeah, yeah I raised my kids uh, doing those. So, yeah, I, I get your point. Elon is pissing people off and he's also inspiring people. And that's what you're that the metaphor that you're giving just he fits both sides of this. Like the example of the Rubik's Cube is once you had the algorithms and it was just algorithms, like it was just a process of doing things and putting them in a place based on a few facts. Right. Once you had that, you could succeed at that puzzle. 
And Elon has done that for people. And he said, hey, here's pieces of the puzzle that we can solve. And I'll show you the way. I'll show you how to beat NASA's margins. I'll show you how to launch internet satellites and into the sky that become useful in rural areas. I'll show you how to put this car on the road. And now what? We have competitors doing it. We have even Porsche is putting out a fucking electric car now, for God's sakes. Like pretty soon we're going to have electric cars and Indy 500s and everything. Like it's, we're just hey, going that fast, direction. Good for them. Yeah. So it's just, he said, here is the process and now you go do it. He didn't stop Ford or Toyota or anyone from going out and beating. And they actually, a lot of them make better cars than Teslas. But he sure. showed people that there's a way to solve these problems. And he's been successful at it. And then let you like go, do your best, have at it, participate, get on board, do whatever you want to do. He hasn't fucked anyone up along the way. Hmm. You maybe could have paid better. Who knows? Maybe we shouldn't be mining for shit in rural places in Indonesia. I have no idea. But but you're right. He has generally given that inspiration. Positive. Yeah, yeah. Generally positive. What you're describing on the negative side, the people who see this and are having a negative experience, like, oh, I can't, I can't achieve that. Like the ones that are telling themselves that this isn't going to work for me, and he, they see what's happening with Elon and take that negative side. That is a fucking douchebag. Chase, mm -hmm. that is a douchebag. The douchebag is the guy who looks at his real authentic self and says, fuck that guy. I'm going to be, I'm going to wear this costume and I'm going to be what I think you want me to be. And when I see my own authentic experience or my own facts, I don't like them. When someone mirrors them back to me or shows them to me, I don't like it. I need to keep wearing this co this costume and pretending to be this other thing so that you will like me. And the best example of this, that you're going to just laugh when I say this. There's two really good ones, but there's one that's better than all of them. Mitt fucking Romney. Like you have no, what is he like in his personal life? I've never met the guy, but he gives you that sense of leadership of, yeah, he's just going to be what you th he thinks you think is cool. What he thinks you think is morally awesome. What he thinks you think should like. But at no point ever do you think, God, I want to be like Mitt Romney when I grow up. And the next person that's Great like hair, that. Though. Yeah. And the next person is Joe Biden. Like he ran his whole campaign like I'm going to be presidential. What the fuck is that? Right. And yeah. And, and so Elon Musk shows up at Joe Rogan wearing a black T-shirt, smoking a joint. And Joe Rogan, back. also not a Republican, by the way. So it proves it's not a, an idealistic difference. Political ideal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like he. But Joe Rogan, I will tell you this. He's made a great audience out of the populace on all sides, like whether whether it's majority Republican or not. He's I adore basically the guy. said, yeah, I adore him. he's basically said, hey, let's fucking do this. Let's put on our goddamn T-shirts and sit in this room and we're just going to go. And so but that is you look at that is the that is the spirit of what Musk is doing. And it stands in brutal contrast 
to what you're getting from other forms of leadership right now. And that scares the ever loving fuck out of a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. Well, and one of my, one of my sentiments about this whole macro political dynamic, you know, as the brilliant audio engineering major, I was, (laughs) is, is, uh, I asked myself like, all right, if you talk about um, like Kim Jong, Kim Jong Un's this is the guy in North Korea, right? Not Kim Jong Il. I always mix them up. Kim Jong Un's the guy now. That's the president of North Korea, I think. And I asked, my, I was asking my buddy Andrew. I was like, "Do you think that guy likes his job?" I don't know if we talked about this on our last uh, podcast, but it's like, can you imagine being the dictator of North Korea? Like, wouldn't that yeah. suck? You're always looking over your shoulder, whatever, right? Yeah. And and. I guess, you know, he gets whatever he wants in terms of like material objects and stuff, but it must be a high stress thing. And the reason I bring it up is because I asked myself, all right, then why is it that these people so desperately seek power all the time? Right. Because it's like when you actually get in these positions of power, it sort of sucks unless you um, unless you have like everything buttoned up. So, you know, that it's locked in. And I think what the reason it sucks is because the more power you get, the more anxiety you get about whether or not you're going to be able to keep the power, right? You get more anxious about keeping it or you don't want to lose it. And my philosophy on the whole globalist thing that we're seeing now is that the leadership and the conglomeration of power and wealth on a global level has gotten to such a point that there's a tremendous amount of anxiety among the leadership class about losing power. Yes. And they're for sure. inherently immediately averse to anything disruptive. That's why they like people that play that fall in line. They like Zuckerberg to show up to, in a suit to and, and call them Senator when they ask questions, they like Bezos to buy the Washington post and push their shit. Right. They, if you yep. fall in line, it's cool, but anything yep. disruptive is immediately terrifying in them. Like Joe Rogan, totally disrupted to the traditional corporate media uh, platform. And, and right. I come to Berkshire, the conclusion. Berkshire Hathaway was never disruptive. Gates was right. never disruptive. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. Along your right. Points. I, w- I want to get to the last Romans question before you go to your next podcast. Do it. So, I'm not but, even looking at these because I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I won't be able to pay attention to. No, but but keep going. Like there is um, there is something really unusual about Elon's presence, and he is disruptive, and and yeah. he has a history of it. PayPal was disruptive. disruptive. Like yeah. you look at what he's done, and then you look at how he did it, and why he did it, and his motivations. And I think, and I, this is why I want to get to the last Romans question: is Musk could have gotten just been rich and gone away and stayed yeah. rich and made cool shit. And he always went in it all in. Like he pulled nothing back. He sold his houses recently. Like he's, he went all in and that's different when you're the richest man in the world. Like it can appear to be a different way. But when he started these companies, he was all in. And, you know, Vox is asking if we think he, I haven't read the, uh, the Vox day report about, Musk being a gatekeeper, but I do want to get to it. He, a gatekeeper 
in this context, and I don't know what the report said, but it kind of gives you the image that he's just passing the shit on or passing it through or letting some stuff in and some stuff out. Like you, you basically, you know, the people come, they go, you let them in, you let them out, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I don't think that that's what Musk is doing here. And one of the reasons I don't think that is that's never been what he's doing. And I don't necessarily think Tesla's worth what it's worth. Like, I I can't make that argument. And I've spent a career on Wall Street. But but I look at what he's built. He has been a builder. He's found a problem and he fixed it. He brought a solution to the problem. He, He saw the transaction problems and he found a solution and made it work and made it profitable. He saw the the. The issues with cars, the possibility of bringing electric cars to the market. He brought a solution. He proved it, brought it to the market. It worked. He's not in the business of just painting pretty pictures and telling cool stories and asking for a handout and losing. He fixes shit. That's what he does. And I think that if he bought Twitter, he will make money on it. But he is going to fix some things, even if it's small things. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, but I did want to finish my my thought on the on the globalist thing too, because because thinking about the thinking about the nature of power and that the more you have, the more anxious you are to lose it. If we see a continued conglomeration of power, which we have seen globally, mm-hmm. international organizations, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab's people like that. If we see continued growth there, then we know that there's going to be continued anxiety about losing the power. And I and on, I honestly believe that this is the real incentive behind the um, uh, World Economic Forum and their 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 notion that by 2029 you'll own nothing and be happy, because the only way that the globalists, as they accrue power, can reduce their anxiety over losing it, is to ensure that the people are as powerless as possible own nothing be happy right and yep. that's what's terrifying to me is this yep. idea that we will lose our national and individual identity to the will of globalists in order to satiate their comfort with their power knowing that they there is no threat to it anymore because we've entered this fiefdom because what's really going yep. on is these people in power what they want is exactly what they take they want total freedom. They want to be able to do what they want, go to the island, whatever. They want to figure out how to be, become immortal. What they, they, want to, they want to totally yep. liberate themselves from any anxiety or pain in the world. Just enter this like almost godlike state, this, this yeah. like deistic state. And the yeah. only way they can do that is by fucking you. Because as long yeah. as you can vote them out, they've got, they, they can't reach total bliss. They're trying to right. they're trying to re, regrow the Garden of Eden, man. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to end up in a motel in Shit's Creek because yeah, yeah, right. They're trying to hold on to it. Yeah, I think their biggest tool in this is to keep the peasants fighting among them amongst themselves. Right, like, and the more desperate the they, people become, the more they look to the state for a solution. It's like a downward cycle. Yeah, like I'm trying to change that. I want people to look at the facts. I want people to look at their real experience and, and realize how much they're getting played. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I talked about this with Barrington too. It's like, you know, they take this emotional experience 
especially in little subgroups, right? They do it particularly among the black population. We saw everything from riots, everything else. They take this huge emotional experience and they play on it as a way to placate and soothe their big leadership, emotional left-wing conspiracy, like left-wing victimization and ideology. And they never return back to the people that they're exploiting and the emotions that they're drawing on or advertising. They just return complete, 100%, go back to redoing the same cycles over and over, deja vu. And and they don't ever actually address the reality, the real experience, what's really going on. And – Eventually, that's going to run dry. It's going to come to a head. Yeah, it's going can, to come can, to a head. It's sort of like that you can run, but you can't hide thing, right? Yeah. Like that's the problem with postmodernism is you can ignore a problem, whether it's like an overdue mortgage, you know, for a period, uh, uh, or if climate change is real, which I don't know if it is or not, but you can ignore that for a while, right? Um, yep. But eventually, no matter what you believe or how much consensus there is among a community, like none of the dinosaurs believed that a meteor was going to hit the planet, dude. And <laughs> it's still did, yeah. right? Yeah. The chicken comes home yeah. to roost, so to speak. And I, yeah, I think that what we have to do is we have to, as a culture, value truth again. And I think that's one of the main things that allowed Western culture to become the greatest culture in the history of written and in written human history is that regardless of whether you're a Christian now today, Christianity did have a huge, and it was part partially uh, uh, Plato's philosophy as well. It's heavily embedded in Christianity, but it had a huge shift in West because all of a sudden capital T truth became incredibly important culturally. Jesus is, I am the way I'm the truth. I am the light. And there's this no, do you believe the truth? Have you heard the good news? Like this is real. God is real. He just did come back from the dead. That's what really happened. And so there's like this whole idea of truth, truth, truth. And, and religiously we we pursue truth. And honestly, that value in truth that, that that we cared about what the truth was and, and were curious about for it and died for it in the crusades or whatever. Like this truth was huge. And it's the reason that we invented science because we needed. A yeah, I was just going to get to that. Like truth, right? I, I, was, I was just going to say that. Cause I don't know, like I don't understand this as much as you, but if we didn't have the passion for truth around our mythologies or religion, yes, we never would have nurtured science. the same passion towards the science and the shape of the globe. Like it's a really interesting question. I've never, ever really explored this. And yeah, yeah. But we've got a point now where we, we don't value truth like we did. Yeah, we're, we're shitting on the truth. We're shitting on the truth. We're censoring it. Yes. We're, we're, we're doing everything we can to it. And I don't, Nietzsche said that the reason this was going to happen was because people were going to stop believing in God. And that's why he said God is dead. And he predicted a lot of the calamities in the 20th century, because if God is dead in the, in the minds and the hearts of the people, then they'll look to the state to replace, you know, the mm-hmm. deity that they, they previously relied. And so I don't know if, if, if that's it, but it seems to me that there's there's something the solution is is for us to get back to a place culturally i don't know how to do it i wish i did god but where where we actually believe in and respect the truth 
because if we if if we can if we can have the strength of character required to 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 pursue truth and truly respond to it if we can just have that character then so many of our problems would evaporate and honestly i I think that i think that people are averse to the truth because the truth not only shines a light in the darkness but it shines a light on your soul and people are terrified yes Yes. and your own are terrified that they will be discovered for who they are and and I, I honestly I think this all comes back to self-esteem and the people and the bitching and the divisiveness that we have, it all comes back to the point that people feel like shit about themselves and they're too big of a pussy to do something about it, to make themselves worthy of their own self-respect. They would rather the world be in denial about their their imperfection mm. than that their imperfection be corrected. So I don't know a lot about esteem, but I agree with your point. And I think it it comes down to – I understand esteem is important. I just can't speak sure. to it. I, I need to look at it more. But there's no question that our dedication to self-care is a factor. Sure. If we make a choice, a conscious choice, that we're not going to take care of ourselves, we're going to take care of someone else, or we're not going to take care of ourselves, someone's going to take care of us – whether it's the government or our mom or whatever, we go through phases where we can't take care of ourselves and we cycle through it. There's periods in our lives, even as adults, we can't, we need help. But that, that relationship to self care and your confidence in being able to do that, if that's your esteem and your ability to succeed at that is going to yet determine your destiny in many ways. And that is exactly like we keep getting back to this. This is what is getting exploited all the fucking time. And this is what's being exploited to keep the division in groups and to keep people down and to reward those groups at the top that are trying to hold on to their power. They're trying to convince us that we're not responsible for our own choices, behavior, or even our own experience. They're trying to just take away the concept of self-care and sell us this bullshit that they're going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. And and at least they're going to do it for the 48, 90 million people they need to win an election or to get paid, right? So, or to consume their shit or sign up for Facebook, whatever the hell it is. But this is a core part of marketing now is to say, hey, one of two things are going to happen when you buy this or participate or sign up for this. It will, it will let us take care of you. It's going to close, fill the gap, or it will make you cool. It will make you more of a dick or more of a douchebag. And <laughs> one of the two, right? But it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere where we just basically say you're not responsible for your own care. Right. Well, and let's get, let's, let's, let's go back to that self-esteem to self-care because I really, really appreciate the value and emphasis that you put on self-care. It's I loved your book. It was, it was some, I think you're right on the money, but I'll, I'll Thanks, just man. give the example of my wife. Right. So we have mm-hmm. some 
crystal that we either inherited or got from our wedding, right? Every a lot of people have crystal and they bring it out on special occasions like mm-hmm. Easter or Christmas, whatever. They bring it out when uh, special occasions and they'll have champagne out of it. And I don't know if your wife is this way, but if I go to the cupboard and all of the shitty glasses are in the dishwasher because we're lazy asses or make a mistake, right? And if I go to reach for crystal to pour a sprite into, she flips <laughs> out, right? Right? And it's right. because she has esteem for the crystal, but not for the shit glass. So my point that I'm trying to make is I find it hard to bet self care is possible without self esteem, because if you don't, could be, yeah. if you don't see the value in yourself, then why the fuck would you take care of yourself? Right. And so that's, I think I'm like a notch more fundamental in the principles. Like, I think you're totally right about it but I don't think there's anything contradictory about self-esteem. I think it's, I think it's more like a pyramid. Yeah. I think you have to have no, that self-respect. I, I agree with that. Right. I agree and and that. the self-respect yeah. has to come from within because if it comes from without, then you've built that foundation on sand because it's totally unpredictable what the people will think of you. One day you're a hero. The next day you're a villain. One day you're at the Oscars. The next day you're banned for 10 years. Right. So if you build your self-esteem, I'm serious. Yeah. I know it's funny, but I'm serious. Yeah. If you build your self-esteem upon how other people view you, you are in for an emotional roller coaster shit show of a life. And the only relief that you will get short term is to deny and not introspect and, and, and just ignore the problem. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the chicken comes home to roost, right? Or how the rooster comes home to, yeah. I don't know, whatever. And so, so, yeah. so, so the point that I'm trying to make here is if you can, if you can find a way to summon the self-esteem with, regardless of the external environment, if you can, if you can find a way to psychologically get to a place where you realize that you as a human being, as an individual are valuable and there's nothing inherently wrong with you, because of any immutable quality about you, then you have laid the perfect foundation to begin self-care. And once you have, yep. once you have done self-care, then you can become a productive person in society. And once you become a productive person in society, you have bettered your community, yourself, your family, and your country, as long as you do it without harming others, right? And so the point right. that I'm trying to make is that self-care is populist. Because the only the best Absolutely. thing that you can do for your country is make your fucking bed. Absolutely. No, no, there's, there's no question. There's no question about it. Like, and the motivation, the propaganda around these groups that are trying to hold on to the power are to convince you that you can't do this by yourself. You must agree to their terms and conditions which are you're a victim you can't take care of yourself only we can do it for you yeah and and you're right the populist movement is saying hey we're moving back to the wards the center like Mm we we can take care of ourselves and we can be inspired by someone like musk or whoever it is they like or choose and read and take care of ourselves without having them do it for us. Sure. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I, I just did a bunch of podcasts and I was like the only guy on there who's got like tattoos running up his arm and long hair and a beard and everyone else on there is like life coaches and psychotherapists. And, and it's fascinating and fun. I wouldn't change it for the world. But, you know, all of these things we're talking about, they – 
these therapists Taking and notes. coaches all all bring up all the time. And you talk like the guy who I co-wrote the book with, who I'll do a podcast with you one day. We'll get him on here and beat him cool. up and make him talk about the populist movement. We'll bring him. But Satanic you, form like, of confession, Corey. Yes. Yes. Like we'll bring it up. But I would ask him, like, we were writing this book. Like, I'll tell you, this is funny. We're writing this book, and there's a chapter about the pussy. And I'm writing and reading, and I keep going back to David. And I'm like, God damn. Like, I can't do this. This guy is awful. Like, this is just making me cringe. There's This can't be plausible. Like, how bad, like, how much of a pussy this guy is. He can't take care of himself. He can't choose right. where to go to dinner. Like, he can't make, stick up for himself. It, everything is like, oh, whatever you want. He's always deferring. I'm like, I, it's making me sick to write this. And I'm going to put this in a book and tell, like, <laughs> give this person a name, right? And I would ask, like, I would ask. Dave, I'm like, is this plausible? And he'd be like, is it plausible? Like, it is so <laughs> plausible. It's not even scratching the surface for how bad it can be. And it doesn't even scratch the surface for how common it is. Like, this is yes. everywhere we go. Everything you're describing, these psychotherapists and, and coaches, people that I've been talking to, in the course of writing this book would be like, not only is it more common than you can imagine, it's worse and more severe than you can imagine. And the progress out of it is slower and worse and improbable in many mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what the so, fuck? And, so and they're like, I believe you know, that like, that is, that is a victimization. They, they are. I, I believe that the pussification of our country it has been an assault on the individual by the state. I, I honestly think that the state has done this to us. And the reason I, I want to bring the I reason can't I want to argue against that. The reason I, I want to argue that, against that. No. If, if we if we think about the, the if you these globalists and in, in, in their path toward power, their desire for power, and you will own nothing and you will be happy. What is power but owning everything, right? Infinite wealth, unlimited yeah. resources, right? They don't want you to have property. If you look at the if you look at the collective the collectivist uh, philosophies, right all, now all the way back to Marx, it's all about self sacrifice, right? Give yourself to the people, to the your country, to the community. Sacrifice yourself to the state, right? And yeah, it, a, a people is more compliant and readily willing to do that if they don't have self-esteem, because if you value who you are and you value yourself yep. and you have self-respect, then you are not readily someone who's just going to give that up. Right. Like you might to charity because you care about something, right. but I mean, you're not going to allow like some state to just arbitrarily take it, take it from you because, because it's yours yeah. and you, and you respect that. And if, and the reason that we were so racist against black people in this country we didn't and we did not enslave black people because we we were racist because we enslaved them because when you beat down a slave and you call them a racial slur and you divide up their family and you don't allow them to read and you make them feel pathetic about them. themselves yep. they get more work done for you during the day because they're not thinking about anything because they are no one because you've made you've conditioned them to be like that. And so honestly, that was the state eliminating the self-esteem of a race, right? For the purpose of a, a more subservient and submissive labor force.
And the racism that we saw after the slaves were freed, I think, was just uh, uh, an, an echo of an actual intentional conditioning that was done. We Absolutely. saw that were vulnerable and we took them and we treated them in such a way that they would be more productive. Right. right? And so uh, so th- what this is doing to us now has is, has little to do with race. Right. Because the race actually doesn't matter. The race was just the excuse that we that we that we had. Right. To, to make people yep. feel like shit about themselves. What they're doing to us now is the same fucking thing that we did to the slaves. They are conditioning yep. us to be servants. They are institutionalizing victimization and institutionalizing. That's why there's toxic masculinity and they want you to be, you know, they they don't want you to claim yourself. They want you to be afraid and they want you to be constant second guess whether or not she wants to kiss you or whether or not you you, you have consent. They're making everything weird and everyone self-conscious and they're making people afraid of shame of an alternative outcome where before they would stomach the risk of shame because they had enough self-esteem that it wouldn't bother them them to be rejected right you know so i don't know i just yeah. think that this is somewhere with this combo man you're really you're no, really it, kicking ass you know there's the next layer of all this is also fascinating and which you you take what they're doing at the the level of the consumer and the citizens the pacification make turning them into submissive and victimized or fakers like the imitators they're just constantly pushing pushing people out into this perimeter where you don't live authentically and you don't surrender to facts you submit to what they tell you to and you don't have self-care you're a victim like they keep pushing you out when it's like well what about the other side of that like who is the aggressor like, where is the aggression in this model? Because it has to be balanced. Someone has to fill that side out. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's where they're saying, yeah, we got that. Like, we're like, we, they're like, that's fine for us. Like, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll fill that role for you. And that's normal. Like your, your leadership is generally a more assertive group. And they're saying, yeah, we'll go ahead. We're going to be the ones and tell you that your aggression your assertiveness is offensive, but yeah. our aggression as your leader and our assertiveness is benevolent. Well, and, and that was something that was so cool about just the founding of this country and what happened with the sort of Renaissance movement is that throughout human history, traditionally, things have operated on a dominant, submissive, you know, oppressor, oppressed for contemporary mm-hmm. terms model where you have strong man's that you have a strong man that's chief, you know, the strongest guy in, in the, in the club gets to call the shots about what happens in, in these small tribal communities. Like there was a very dominant submissive dynamic going on, just sort of in human psychology in primitive sort of times. Right. And what was so cool about, honestly about capitalism. And I know that it's got a negative connotation today, but honestly, when people talk about capitalism today, they're not talking about capitalism. They're talking about, um, uh, cronyism which is the same thing as fascism they just rebranded it but the point i'm trying to make is capitalism was a way that you could get a group of people to engage in productive work without any one of them being submissive right so you might have an just because you're someone's employee doesn't mean that you're submissive deal you 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 could be an equal to your employer you exchange your labor for their for their money right and that was what was it was the first thing that happened you didn't have to have a king and subjects right? Or a lord right. and a fiefdom 
right with this this model that we had of the of the open market and free trade all you had to do was let the invisible hand do its thing and have incentive structures in place and so i think that was where we had the burgeoning of self-esteem and that's why we had such astounding technological advancements over the last 300 years compared to the last 3000 years combined before that is because we found a way to set people on a path at least towards self-actualization. Maybe they wouldn't reach it, but you inched closer. And that was mm-hmm. way more productive than just making it, you know, a group of people being the bitch of a small group of people, right? Yeah, but it goes back to that. You the the early concepts and application of capitalism gave people a model to say this is a way you can take care of yourself. Now in the in the Cleaver yeah. family, we're saying, hey, this is a way you can own your own home and have some fuck you money at some point. So we basically said, here's the formula. So th- yeah, that's true. That's true. And I look at the inventors and we wrote about this too. It's like that what, what do we gain from people who are assertive and selfish and shameless? Like we think they're assholes and they're going to hurt us and they're going to beat the shit out of us or whatever they are. But when that's controlled and delivered in an appropriate way, what do you get from that? And the example I always give is entrepreneurs and inventors. Like if you were afraid to make a move because you might fail and it could be humiliating, we wouldn't have a fucking telephone. We wouldn't have shit. And we need people, and it's not just in inventions and new technology. We need that in the arts. And we need that in religion. We need it in philosophy. We need it in the law. We need people who are willing to say, you know what? I'm going to take this case all the way to the end and I'm going to fight and we might lose. And it could be humiliating to lose this in court, but it's the right thing to do. And or they don't care if they lose. Like there's so many things to to be gained from having that amount of shamelessness that you would go to the market with it. I mean, I was terrified when we wrote and created our new software for testing and balancing and Mm -hmm. for infection control and terrified. I thought, man, what if someone sees my formulas and my algorithms and turns out I was wrong, you know, and I probably had a lot of mistakes in there, but, but at some point it's like, ah, fuck it, let's go. And I don't have the same, I don't have the same boldness that someone like Musk has, but God damn, thank God we do. And thank God it's across the board. Like it's not just technology and just science. It's all over the place. Hey, there, there's a comment up here I want to get to. North yeah, humiliated the South and upset the region's social order. They thereby That's caused true. the backlash against the freed slaves. I want to get back to this because I don't I think know. If was, all- I think the black people were being treated pretty shittily, though, before the slaves were free. There's they, probably some truth yeah, to that, though. That, there that's is not, some. That's not the whole explanation. Yeah, this is a simplistic view, but there's an important concept here. I don't know if it caused the backlash. I know that there was a backlash, and I know that there was a massive upset of the social norms, and that most likely, and I'm pretty certain, they needed to be upset. Like, there's probably some things that were working, but a lot of shit needed a break, and that's okay. But the concept in that point is one that we keep talking about here with the populace, with censorship, 
the communities that are talking and the information that we have. When the North humiliated the South and beat their ass, it established a new set of conditions and people had to accept and agree to these conditions to participate or they were in for a massive fight or they were going to be disconnected in some way. This is just the same principle that applies in a family, in a relationships. It's the same things, Chase, that you apply when you coach and teach and train and parent your daughter. Mm-hmm. Like you're basically saying, here are the terms for engagement. If if you get way outside the line, you might be sitting in your car seat a little bit longer, or you might have to leave the store and go sit in the hood of the car a little bit longer till we reorganize and we back on equal and acceptable terms. That's such, such an American punishment, by the way. I'm, <laughs> that's like that's, that yeah. was like the Norman Rockwell of like of like raising your kid right there. Like I just see the kid sitting on the hot hood of a car like I fucked up. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. so American, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so but whatever it is, my, my point is we establish we establish our own limits, whether they're extreme or whether they're reasonable. And we allow other people to engage us on those terms. And and everything we're talking about here with the person, this is my just, man, I have a passion for this. I'm even thinking about writing another book about it. When we institutionalize these extremes, we fuck with entire populations with indiscrimination. And, and it is brutal. It is ugly. And we're telling people, you're not rich enough to participate. You're not politically aligned correctly to participate. You have a different opinion about ivermectin. You're too privileged to participate. Whatever it is, we're not going to let you participate. Or if we do, it's on these, these new terms. And it's something that's as American as the Civil War, where we've been subjecting people and changes you know, conditions on people all the time. And that's what's happening now. We're subjecting changes, conditions, all this stuff on people. And I think we're about to watch the people say, fuck you, I'm done. Now I'm doing it my way. So what I'm, what I'm afraid of is, um, and I've got plenty, I've got about 30 more minutes, but if you got to go, I understand, but I'm having so much fun. But, uh, what I, what I'm afraid (laughs) of, (laughs) I don't know if anyone else is having fun, but we are, I may jump out for just a second and go get a drink. I didn't bring enough water. You gotta, you gotta poop. Go get your water. (laughs) Go get your water. (laughs) Let me grab, I'm going to go grab a water. All right. Cool. Cool. I'll, I'll keep the, I'll keep the crowd. You can check these messages. Yeah. Let me see if I can pull it up. That's good. Uh, that's a good idea. All right, guys. Aaron with us. Uh, Corey's going to be right back. It's been a lot of fun. All right, let's see what the chat is. I don't even know how to pull up the chat over here. Usually I don't look at the um, comments until after because then I can't pay to whoever I'm talking to, but oh, last Roman. Gotcha. Yep. I see. A lot of people in the chat tonight. Thanks for coming through and joining back. We are talking about the populist um, uh, movement that is probably about to take hold so uh cory i gotta ask you i gotta ask you man so what i was saying is what my concern is is it's historically based right so if you look at what happened in germany between 1918 and 1945 there was a populist nationalist uprising 
as a unemployment that approached 30%. And, um, you know, the, the raw deal that the Germans got at the end of World War One, right? They really got mm-hmm. fucked by their leaders at, at the end of World War One, and they were humiliated. And um, uh, ultimately, what happened was there was a real grievance that the Germans the, the Germans were justified in having a grievance about the condition that they were put in by their leaders. And the mistake that they made is they took it the racial route and they thought it was just like this huge conspiracy of the Jews, which, you know, I don't, it, it, of course it wasn't. And um, they way overreacted to an injustice that had been done to them by doing a far greater injustice than had really ever previously been seen. Right. That maybe other than like Genghis Khan. Um, yep. Uh, or Mao between 58 and 62. But the point that I'm trying to make is I, I, I do think that there's people are waking up and there's going to be a populist response to this bullshit. And I think the populists are going to win because historically they always do for a while. Yeah. And my concern is that we're going to lose our heads when it's our turn to make shit happen. And we are yeah. going to respond in an unjust way to those who we perceive for better or worse as having been responsible for the injustices that were done to this. So, you know, our businesses were shut down because of COVID, right? That there's, there's a pain point, uh, pain point there. We were forced to get vaccines. So vaccines. So there's a, a pain point there. People, people didn't like that. People, uh, their buying power is way lower than it was. People hate that unemployment might skyrocket. People are gonna hate that. So that's going to add up and it's going to fuel it. And when we have the power who are the enraged going to blame for 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 creating that suffering and that injustice? And how will they respond? You know, like, what, are we yeah, gonna fuck I, it up when, when we win? You know, my response to that is it's highly probable that the reaction is worse than we expected. Yes. Like, it, it, and isn't that the concept of triggers and reactions? Like, so, the people are creating a trigger often deliberately. And they're trying to get a reaction. Sometimes they get a reaction sure. that they didn't really want. So do I think that collectively, if we institutionalize such bad behaviors and trigger these people for so long and so hard that we end up with a reaction that we don't like? I, yeah. Yeah. And and I think of what could those triggers be and that would generate a reaction that would lead us to fuck it up or the populace to fuck it up. And I think the most likely is not the military and it's not Elon Musk and it's not, you know, all this bullshit. It would, it would come from an organization associated with the fed and something that would basically people wake up one day and they thought they had something that's not there. They thought they had a security that's not there. They thought they, they they knew something was going to be there every day and now it's gone but hey the bankers the feds and everyone else is doing just fine i mean th- that kind of reaction and i'm not predicting that that would be the case but could you get a reaction you didn't like that you would look back at and say that was a fuck up yeah yeah you could you could and that's why i think it's so important to have these conversations too and people to know like you're getting played like honestly if you were on twitter and it's a minor goddamn thing if you were on twitter and you thought seriously that you were getting unfiltered truth you're crazy 
for right. one. Like you were entering a silo of information, of filtered information. But if you if you thought, all right, I know what I'm getting into, but it's not that big a deal. And then you find out later the extent of it was extreme and actually changed the economic model that you thought was secure, that might piss you off. Like that might get the reaction that you're saying, hey, is outside the fucking lines. Like there's there's possibilities that are not improbable here that would get people reacting bad. Yeah. Like really bad, really, really bad. It's interesting to see. It's interesting to me how many similarities there are between the United States today and Germany in the twenties. So not a lot of people realize people think that like, like the Nazi party, and I don't mean to be the guy that just always brings up Hitler. Sorry, but it's so useful today because <laughs> it just is. It's you such a learning. Bring it up. I know, man, my father-in-law was like, dude, you're bringing up Hitler again. I'm like, dude, sorry. So, yeah. So the, the point I'm trying to make is we have to study that stuff because it's telling it's, it's a prop. The history is a prophecy. And, and it's tw- just as the twenties were roaring, uh, then I don't know that we're going to roar in twenties again, but a lot of people think that the third Reich came to power. The Nazi party came to power, like sort of overnight, but it was really 15 years. And they actually lost a lot of momentum in the twenties because during the roaring twenties, the economy started to improve in Germany and the Germans were less pissed off about world war one. And then when it crashed in 29, sort of globally, then it like rekindled that whole populist, fuck these guys kind of mentality. Um, uh, especially since the the Nazis had associated the Jewish community so heavily with the stock investors, uh, the stock market crashed. So when it crashed, like oh, it was them, you know. So it kind of like reinforced yeah. it and doubled it down, right? And of course they were wrong, and I'm not like condoning it, but that's the explanation of what the Germans thought, right? And and so. Um, it's fascinating to me to see that in the United States, we could be experiencing like, like, like Hitler went to prison for two years because he actually tried to participate in an insurrection. And though I don't believe for a moment that January 6th was an insurrection, understand wholeheartedly that a lot of people that pro- protested on January 6th would have been perfectly fine with one. Right. <laughs> it, yeah. you know, a lot of Americans, you know, yeah. are, were pissed off. And, and, and the point yeah. that I'm trying to make is it's funny how there was like a little baby flare up. It got tamped down and then it came back with a vengeance. And so what happens to these 500 insurrectionists when they're released? They're not going to go home to, you know, cold shoulders. They're going to go home to open arms. Their community's going to be like, hey, man, you took one for the team. You know, you were right. This injustice. And so when things really get hard, what are Americans going to think back on? They're going to think back on and the globalists and the enemies that have lied to us. And they are going to want justice and there's not going to be checks and balances. And so that's what I'm concerned about because it's going to be incredibly damaging to our country and embarrassing to our movement. If we don't begin this movement of populism with the end in mind, if we don't decide today, okay, we are going to win and we are going to take no mercy and we are going to fight for our values and our culture, but we're going to do it on the high road. We're not going to put people in camps. We're not going to, you know, set bombs off outside of buildings. We're not going to do black flag. I burned down the Reichstag. Like, you know, we are going to keep our character and we're going to be good people. And we're going to do this. We're going to go about this without lies, but with truth, because that's the only, only way that we can is if we win we 
Yeah, I think another way to say that is if we're not going to win by destroying, we're going to lead. And yes. I think that needs to be the motivation is that we have to lead out of this. We're not going to, we're not going to be aggressors coming out of this. We're not yes. going to just the same extreme. We're not going to lay down um, and we're not going to assume that we're victims of everything and, and join that, that facade and that, that, your victimization role like someone has to make a move forward and it can't be aggressive it cannot aggression hurts people it's meant to hurt people and that is not what we want and it won't get anybody anywhere and and whether that's institutionalized aggression or personal aggression and whether it's reactions to what other people does do, it doesn't matter. It's like you, you go out and play football, you get aggressive, be outside the lines. You're going to get a flag thrown no matter what the fuck the other guy did. You're still going to get it. So it doesn't matter if it's his fault, if he did it first, you're still going to get a flag. And I would say to people in this movement, practice self-care, avoid aggression, we're fighting against submission and show up and be real and bring your families to the show. Like you, it doesn't have to be a facade and a fraud, but it can't hurt people. That's a, it, it will fail. If it goes into that mode, you have to lead your way out of it. Um, and I think that they can, and I, you know, I, I know we brought this up and we've had so many calls about Barrington and Adam, but I think that these, these are great men and not just for the books they write and the shows that they host, but the example that they give of how to describe the experience a different way and do it with a calm, sane, pleasant, thought out Take care of yourself approach. Like the populist movement will just disintegrate Mm -hmm. if it were to look like January 6th every fucking day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like there's, there's nothing there. Right on, man. There. Like it will have nothing. What's, what's that um, famous revolutionary war story where um, a guy said, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. I don't know that one. That's a you don't good one, know that one? Was it? Was that Bunker Hill? Somebody in the comments, tell me what story that was. I'll, I'm just going <laughs> to Google. I need Jay, Jamie. Put that shit up. So hold on, hold on. Uh, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. Hey, do you know like, how many people are listening to this? Anyone? There's like four people listening. Um, well, that's just that's just those numbers are just um. Uh, Concord Bridge. It says Concord Bridge. Don't fire until you uh, conquer bridge. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's it. So basically it was night out and I think there was limited ammo. And I believe that the Patriot American Patriots were like on the top of this hill and that the British yeah. were running up the hill to take, take, I think that's, I don't know, but basically the whole point was the, the, the general or the guy that was leading these revolutionaries was not wanting to waste any ammo. And he said, um, don't fire until you can see the whites of their eyes, like until it's point blank. And they like slaughtered the British um, because it was so point blank. And they were in such a strategically strong position as defenders that even though they were outnumbered, they were able to uh, fight off like a, a overwhelmingly disproportionate number of Brits. And I, part of the reason that I think that story is so famous 
there's there's a couple of reasons, but I think that it's actually a symbol of quality of the entire independence movement at the time where Mm -hmm. we took a lot of shit from King George for a long time and a lot of shit from England for a long time. And we didn't we didn't resort to violence until there was no other like alternative. We didn't resort to independence until it like had to be done. And I think that that's the metaphor here is don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. Like we don't need to be doing January 6th shit. And we don't, and I don't think it was insurrection, but regardless, we don't need to be acting like that. Right. And and I feel bad for the 500 people that are locked up. Don't get me wrong. They should, they absolutely deserve free trials and all that stuff. And I think a lot of them didn't even do anything locked up, but the point, that I'm trying to make is I, I totally agree with they want to trigger us to do something wrong so they can justify yep. a massive reaction. They want like a 9-11 type thing so they can get their Patriot Act, right? They yep. want a domestic terrorist threat so they can round us up, us up or render us, you know, uh, yep. um, basically uh, uh, not non-threatening, right? And I yeah, there's all so, so many examples of this. Like there's so many examples where it's been put into place, like deliberately. And the one that comes to mind that we just went through was the um, the example up in Canada with the truckers. Like you fuck yeah. with them and you fuck with them and you threaten them and you threaten them and you threaten them and you threaten them and then you get a reaction and then they act like they're a victim of this reaction that they got. And do I think that the truckers had a great argument? Yes, they absolutely did. No one got hurt because of this. They were a nuisance because of it. But your point is, yeah, they're going to push, they're going to push, they're going to push until you got trucks parked on a bridge shutting down the commerce between two countries. Like, yeah, I was against the law. They can't do that. But right. you got a, you got the reaction, and and that one was manageable. But you're absolutely right. If they'd have blown the fucking bridge up, that would have been like devastating for their cause and their argument, yeah. right? There's, yeah. they're going, there's going to be reactions, but they can't be you know, so devastating and so extreme or you're just like them. And that's really what they want. And, you know, I'm going to start what I'm about to say and agree with you. What happened on January 6th shouldn't have happened. Like a lot of people took the bait. A lot of people went crazy. People got hurt. There was bait. There was bait. There was bait. Yes. And I will say that that shouldn't have happened. And even if Trump wants to go and have his give his speech on in Washington, D.C., when all this is going down, like that still shouldn't have happened. Like it should not have happened. There's no excuse for for how this went down. This yeah, Ashley calamity. Babbitt shouldn't have been shot, but yeah, like they shouldn't have been. The in cal- the ca- nobody should have been in the Capitol, right? Right. The and it's- calamity of all, and you know, it should yeah. have been prepared. All these things went down. Now I say that, and I'm like, all right, now let's look at it, knowing that it was a reaction that everyone would reverse if they could. Every sane person would reverse it if they could. It was a reaction that we got. What triggered that reaction? And for someone to say and believe that that reaction was triggered by one or two things or some things that Trump said 
or the stop the seal argument that that was going on, that that was the trigger that led to that reaction. That's a level of insanity that I can't take seriously. Yeah. Like that's when years. I'm just like, it takes years of su- of subjugation and suffering to bring people yes. to the point of behaving like that on a massive scale. It's not yes. just a comment. Yes, it wasn't a comment. It wasn't a word. It wasn't the weeks that happened from November 6th to January 6th. It wasn't eight weeks. And anyone who looks at what happened on January 6th and thinks, oh, it happened because of Stop the Steal or it happened because of Trump, I I just have to laugh. I'm like, you you might as well walk up here and tell me that – you know, gravity is going to change its course. Everything's going to start falling up and the earth is flat. That's how nonsensical it is. Like there were so many institutionalized things that led up to January 6th. And mm-hmm. part of that, like you look at what led to that and, and we're just talking about triggers and trigger and reaction here and institutionalized triggers and an institutionalized reaction and we've been talking about the populace and how they overreact and blow their course. Here you have the whole fucking thing in like a small little subsample. All of that is happening where you condition these people for years and tell them that black is white and white is black. You tell them that a protest where people are getting shot in the fucking head and businesses are burning to the fucking ground and people are scared and you stand and look them straight in the eyes and you say, this was a peaceful protest. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful protest. Now, if you pull that fucking stunt, you have to be prepared for the consequence and the reaction that you get when you pull that fucking stunt. Yeah. Right. Well, and there's, there's even and, more contests. I mean, if you go back, to, I think that's a brilliant insight, Corey. And I hadn't thought of it like that. But if you go back to where this all started, right, we had a slow recovery uh, from from the last uh, um, um, collapse in 2006 under Obama steady, but it was slow and steady. Right. And what we had happen was there was really relatively little division in our country during the Hillary and Trump campaign. Right. It wasn't really until right. the end that it got wonky with some of the email stuff and the WikiLeaks stuff. But it was it was it was looking like it was going to be like a traditional uh, 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 like kind of campaign in the United States. And what happened was the, when when Trump was elected on November, whatever it was, 2016, all of a sudden it was abundantly clear that the media had been lying about the polls for months and like, not just a little bit, like beyond the margin of error, lying, making shit up. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing is the emails were real because Comey said they were real and she still never went to jail or got prosecuted. Right. Comey said they were still looking into him at least. Right. And Julian, Assange then is locked up for I don't even know why just because he's associated with WikiLeaks it looks like and the Clintons had him locked up that's my opinion I don't know if that's true or not and then Trump gets accused of colluding with Russia which was proven to be false and proven that the documentation to justify the espionage on a private citizen's campaign for the president of the United States was falsified and they tried to impeach him for it and then they failed they lied about Kavanaugh to try to get him (laughs) 
from keep him from the Supreme Court. And then they try to impeach Trump again over the Ukraine shit when Joe Biden is on video admitting that he did the same exact thing when he was the vice president of the United States, where he withheld aid to Ukraine in order to get the prosecution fired to protect Hunter's assets. Right. That happens. And then COVID happens and they lie to you about whether or not there's effective therapeutics. A, they lock you up. They put us out of business. They lied to us about the Hunter Biden laptop at the same, you know, and then, and then they lied to us about the origin of the virus. Right. And then everyone's losing their business. They're losing their job. We don't know what the hell's going to happen. We're locked down. All the voting laws changes. They lied to us for five years straight. They shamed us for five years straight. They called us racist bigots, all this stuff, terrible shit introduced wokeism. And then when the election happened, they, they thought that we were stupid for not believing them. Like, I don't know whether there was yeah. election fraud or not, but January 6th happened because they lied to us about everything else. Yes. So wh- how are we supposed to believe them? And I don't know yep. if it was, if it was a fraud or not. I have no fucking clue. No yeah, we'll one can. We'll never see the numbers. Yeah, we'll never, we'll never see, see the numbers. No one can. No, right. And so I'm not making a claim yeah. that it was, that it was stolen, but I, but I, but I am making the claim that it was reasonable to doubt what we were being told about anything, whether or not we landed on the moon or whether or not it was, you know, something immediately relevant. And that's why January 6th happened. January 6th happened because no one believed the government anymore because they lied and abused, they lied to us and they abused us for, for six years straight. And I think it just yeah. over the edge. It doesn't make it right. Yeah. An explanation is, is not an excuse. Yeah. This, I'm not, I'm, and again, I will keep saying this because I know people are stealing snippets of everything everyone says. I'm not defending sure. what happened on January 6th. So I keep saying that. And, sure. you know, I, I would say it a little bit differently, but the point you're making is true and I, or something I agree with, I should say, that credibility played a factor in all of this. And, I would also agree that you go back to 2016 and and I don't know how old you are. I know you have a one year old, probably you're a lot younger than me. I've got, I've got grandkids. So um, the, if you go back that far and a little bit beyond that, you know, one of the things that kept happening in that era and Facebook and the campaigns is friendships and families started really splitting like you started seeing like group animosity, like it became personal on where mm-hmm. you were with um, with Hillary. And there was a little bit of that with Obama. But Obama and when he was running against McCain and Palin, you had like Palin was fucking lunatic and, and McCain was just part of the institution. And he, right. it really was like I voted for Obama. And and Obama gave you like, hey, here's a guy who, yeah, he's a senator. They're all senators. Like we don't get to choose outside of that body. But it appeared and felt in a way like I've had enough of the Bushes. I've had enough of the neocons. I've had enough of the of the old guard. Here's something hopeful that's outside of that. And and that kind of carried off. Then Romney came along and it was just hopeless. It's like, all right, you guys seriously put this douchebag on the stage. Like, this is a joke. Like no one really got that emotional or involved in it. Cause what a clown, like there was no, this guy was mm-hmm. just a clown. But when this happened with uh, Hillary and Trump, then it became, Oh, if you choose this, then you are X, you are immoral. You yeah. hate women. You yeah. hate blacks. You're racist. Like, on and on and on and 
and it just became all right now we have we're going to use this twitter and facebook and everything else and we're going to start dividing you guys up like declare your allegiance right here and and it went to another extreme which gets to what you are you're pointing out which you know starting in 2016 we had some of the most Fucking egregious crisis of in, of integrity and crisis of credibility that this country has ever seen, and mm-hmm. they make Watergate or anything else look like fucking nonsense. Vietnam, like pick your fucking lies, like JFK. I don't give a shit what you come up with. Up until 2016, we had never seen organized uncredible discredible crises like we had then and and it is true even if no matter what side you are on with the emails or what side you're on with the the russian hoax or what's like it doesn't matter like you were going to find a way that the other side was absolutely not credible at all and sure. there was a media there was a media campaign to support anything but the fucking facts all you were going to get out of it was you're on the right side or the wrong side of this fucking thing. Like pick who you pick where you stand and assign credibility accordingly. Cause we're going to filter the facts and fuck with you no matter what. So everything you're saying is true. Everything became a credibility issue, right. but it was, can it was conditioned. The of leadership is trust. Yes. And it, but it was, it was done in cahoots with these filters and these algorithms that were bringing you information to bring it right into your goddamn home, like yeah. right into Thanksgiving dinner and yeah. all, and right into your friendships, you know, fam, family and friends I've talked to, been associated with forever, family forever, friends for a long time. Like there were some serious factions or fractures in those, in those groups. But you're right. It, it set up this credibility crisis. But the campaign wasn't I to give us the information about Russia and steel dossiers and files. The campaign was about you are the victim and you are on this side. Declare where you are. They were taking away the possibility of caring for yourself, submitting and making your own fucking decisions. You couldn't surrender to the facts. You couldn't take care of yourself. You were either a victim or you submit. They were pushing everyone into these other extremes, right? And and so sooner or later, you get to this point with the 2020 election. And yeah, it's a t- fucking tinderbox, like right. you, you, you were creating this, you setting this up to the point where it could be staged. We don't even know if it was really, but you set this up. There's so much bullshit. It could be staged. It could be just as fucking phony as the abduction of the governor in Detroit or Michigan, wherever the hell she was when they were going to kidnap her, like in that hoax, like it was all set up and primed where they were trying and trying and trying to get that extreme reaction. And they got it. Yeah. That was, that was what was was so fucking brilliant about Martin Luther King and frankly, Jesus Christ, the whole turn your other cheek mentality, right? 
And mm-hmm. and it, they knew that they were going to get hosed down by firemen. And they knew that if they reacted violently, that it would totally sabotage the cause. Right. And honestly, yeah. I think that we're getting hosed down is because I think that there were a lot of people, a lot of racist people in, in the establishment at the time that wanted to, to catalyze an overreaction so that they could, you know, justify their moral position. Right. And I think that, right. you know, it, it, but, but this reminds me of Jocko Willink, you know, Jocko, I think, do you know who Jocko Willink is? He's Navy SEAL. Jocko. He's been a Joe. Yeah. He, yeah. He's been on Joe Rogan. I think I know. Him yeah. Yeah. Way. He wrote a book called yeah. um, extreme ownership, which is basically about, about even if it's not your, it's your fault. Like if you want to be a good leader, you have to own everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's what happened on January 6th, just like we've been talking about and it, my followers up that we've been saying, because I think a lot of them really support the Jan- and I support the January 6th prisoners, but the January 6th was the right reaction, just like we've been saying. But yeah. what I'm trying to make, the point yeah. I'm trying to make is that I don't fault them, by the way, I don't fault. Right. Them. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The point, the point I'm trying to make is even though the behavior of the protesters and extremists uh, extremists, but even though the behavior of the protesters on January 6th was inappropriate and, and they should own that it was inappropriate, the establishment has to own the behavior and the decisions that they made and the actions that they took leading up to it to cause it. So if you're a leader, mm-hmm. it is not your, if someone else loots a store, but if you created the lockdowns, which, you know, made them fear what, whether or not they were going to have food, then you have to yep. own that, right? And I think that what we have here in this culture is we have a political climate in which there is no ownership of fault or taking of responsibility. We have gas hikes that are Putin's fault, right? And the right and the left. And we're always blaming other people, but we don't have leaders that come in and say, all right, I f-. and it's because, you know, in a democracy, and a uh, democratic republic it's very risky to admit you did something wrong and i i don't know what the solution is but yeah i, I just i just wish that we had a culture of ownership on on, on this whole thing but with that i do have yeah. to leave i'll let you say something else. i want you to respond and then, and then we'll call it okay i will respond to that and that this is awesome i could talk about this shit forever by the way i love hanging with you man you're the best Corey. <laughs> yeah so but th- this is interesting like we're saying in a nutshell that the triggered reaction by this group on January 6th was not ideal. We support these people, but not that choice that they made. Yeah. And there's no responsibility coming from the other side for being triggering. Right. And that's what you're describing. Like we established these conditions. They went on and on for years. This thing was the gas was poured on this for a long time. And there were people hoping that there eventually would be a reaction. They didn't want that one, but they wanted a reaction. And there's no responsibility, I agree with you, for setting those triggering conditions. And I think there's going to be a reckoning for that, believe it or not. I think it's coming. I think you're right. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to sign off. Remember to turn the other cheek and don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. (laughs) This is fun, man. Spontaneous and fun. We'll do it I love again. Having you, you're always.